On today's Truth Factor discussion, we're going to be considering the topic of evidences or evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is the first of several topical studies that we will embark upon over the next several weeks, maybe for a longer period of time. We'll see how it goes along. Um, but we'd like to thank you so much for taking time out of your study today to join us for this discussion. Paul, if you would like to take a moment, let everyone know how they can participate in today's study. I'll be happy to do that. Um, as we think about our study today, uh, you may be looking at us on YouTube, and certainly you can use the YouTube chat. Uh, and we're at youtube.com slash truthfactorlive. And that's the name that you'll be searching for on any of the social media like Facebook or Twitter or anything else is look for Truth Factor Live. And if you wanted to send us a question, send that to questions at truthfactor.com. That's questions at truthfactor.com. Now, John, it's my understanding that with the link that you sent out, we also now have a, a Google form where in the written format, they can interact with us there. Is that correct? That is correct. Yes. Um, I think that's where I muted myself earlier on the explanation of that. But you'll see the Google form. And if you fill it out ahead of time, we will have your answers. But if you want to drop it in as we go through the course of the study, that's fine too. You'll see it in the Facebook description and YouTube description. Sorry about that, Paul. Okay. So let's go ahead. Now, the reason why I wanted to talk about this today, through the years, one of the things is um, being a Christian, the most challenging aspect of talking to others about the Bible would be those individuals who don't believe the Bible. And I've known, I knew one fellow when I was a kid says, well, the Bible was written by Shakespeare, called the these and thous. He didn't know what he was talking about, of course. Um, and I've come across other people who will say the Bible is filled with myths and legends. And so I found myself kind of perplexed because when it came to Bible topics, well, I could talk about that. We could talk about doctrine. We could talk about thus saith the Lord. We could talk about proper interpretation of passages and should we do this and should we do that. All that was, was right here. But when you talk to somebody who says, well, I don't believe even God exists. I'm an atheist. And I don't believe in the Genesis. I can't believe any of that. Where do you begin? And so... We've, I've done different studies that talk about uh, evidences. And there are a lot of good studies out there. But a lot of them spend a lot of time in, in what would be considered philosophical questions. And, 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 and they have their place. But the problem is, you have the philosophies of men versus Christian philosophers. And when it comes to philosophy, it's hard to say, well, this is absolutely right, this is absolutely right, because they are, of course, philosophical questions. So it finally dawned on me, and, and, and I will say I got some of this uh, from Wayne, who one of our former hosts. He made this point several times. And Brother Dory Moyer, um, in his book, Mind Your Faith, really drives home the point that in this discussion, it is the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus that matters. If you can show that Jesus Christ arose from the grave, then all of the Bible then becomes believable. If you quit believing parts of Genesis, you shrink the Bible down to nothing. But if you believe the resurrection of Christ, and then everything begins to come back in place. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. Now, you know, Paul, I'll, I'll start with you for just a moment, uh, since you may have to step away a little bit later here. 
How important is the resurrection of Jesus to the Bible in and of itself? Well, we find some references uh, within Scripture about uh, that. In fact, uh, Paul talked about the power of the resurrection, uh, and uh, it's certainly the the message that is preached. Uh, If we would just preach the death and the burial of Jesus, we'd be left with Jesus in in the tomb, and and, uh, that would seem to be a, a weak finish. Instead, we have that triumphant message uh, that he overcame death. He conquered the last enemy, death. And as we see that, uh, that gives us hope that uh, as we consider that, that when we believe in his resurrection, that death doesn't have a hold over us anymore because we, if we believe in his resurrection, we believe he's the first fruits of that and that we will also rise again. Uh, it is an essential Bible topic. It, it cannot be ignored. It cannot be understated. Uh, it is an essential uh, Bible topic in talking about the gospel with anyone. You know, Paul, I wonder, I've encountered people before who kind of jump on the atheistic bandwagon, but they don't stop to think that when they do that, they're saying, I don't believe that Jesus Christ died. You know, and, and you're right. It's, it is a fundamental principle that, that is crucial to even understanding the Bible. The passage I was thinking of is Paul says that he wanted to know him, to know Christ, mm-hmm. and the power of his resurrection. That that is that is what uh, Paul's effort and what his uh, life was about. It was about the resurrection of Christ. That's right. Exactly right. In any other thoughts or any other answers to these questions from uh, the rest of our our gathering of men here? Yeah, John. You know, a, mm-hmm. a couple of observations. I. Uh, the importance of the resurrection is, is seen in the amount of times that it is brought up. We just finished the book of Acts. And if you look through the book of Acts, in virtually every sermon at some point and in some way, there was an appeal to the resurrection. And whenever there was controversy uh, and or responses, often it was in relation to the mentioning of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The the resurrection of Jesus Christ as a discussion is a subject that sets apart, and if you want to use this term, Christianity, from every other belief system. You know, there, there are multitudes of belief systems that acknowledge the existence of God. And some even acknowledge that Jesus was a philosopher. You look at some of the Eastern religions and so on. But only Christianity, and the way I'm using that term is in reference to the teachings of the Bible, one being a Christian, only Christianity uh, uh, appeals to the resurrection of Jesus as a fact and the foundation of our hope. That's a good point. That's a very good point, Tom, and I appreciate that. Um, John, as well, when when Paul uh, wrote in the 10th chapter of Romans regarding uh, the, the blessedness of gospel preaching, he, uh, he talks clearly that it's good news. There, I've been to a lot of funerals, and there's not a lot of good news about death, and there's not a lot of good news about a burial. The good news comes with that resurrection. And uh, it, it, that's, that's indeed what gives us the hope. And let me expand a little bit on what Tom just said. Christ is the only one of anyone who for lack of a better term, began a religion, if you will. He's the only one of those that died, was buried, and is risen to live again. 
none of the others that portray a great knowledge of religious basis and what have you, none of those are walking around and living and communicating today. Christ lives at the right hand of God, and after his resurrection, some 500 brethren saw him at one time. The evidence that he came forth from the grave is indeed the key point of believing and obeying Christ Jesus. Okay. All right. I appreciate that, Mike. Appreciate that. Very good thoughts on that. And you just, you wouldn't have it without his resurrection. That's just for certain. Now let's go on to, to, to the next idea here. So when we talk about the, the resurrection of Jesus, and I realize that there are some people out there who just would dismiss all the gospel accounts as being fictitious. I, I recognize that. But there are scholars, even unbelieving scholars, who will look at the events that took place in the gospel accounts and will acknowledge that, yes, something did happen, that there are some basic facts, if you would, regarding the resurrection of Jesus. And so let's take a couple minutes here and talk about what might be considered some basic facts, things that, that even unbelieving scholars really don't dispute. Um, Tom, do you have do you have any of those you want to share with us? Well, well, yeah. Well, actually, there's a there's a lot of things. Uh, well, share a, a couple, couple so we can share the wealth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm just going to mention a couple of them here. To, yeah. uh, mm -hmm. Some things that I think are interesting is is if you've got, uh, the, I think the majority of individual scholars, even among skeptics, will acknowledge a couple of things. Number one, they will mm -hmm. acknowledge that something happened to the body of Jesus. You know, uh, well, let's you back know. up before that. Is his death, yeah, an, an accepted fact? Yeah, I believe that amongst the majority of of skeptics, that acknowledge that Jesus was a person. You know, yeah. you know, I mean, you know, you get a, the even the majority of skeptics will acknowledge that Jesus actually died, and I think you've got a yeah. point to come up with that later. And they acknowledge that something happened to the body. Yeah. Now, what happened to the body? That's another question. Secondly, they also acknowledge that the disciples saw something. Yeah. What they saw, that's a whole nother question or, or that's that's what is debated. And that's when we get into the various uh, theories as to what happened to the body of Jesus that are given by skeptics and so on. But that's a couple of things that I would bring out right up front. Okay. And, and, and there's just a number of other issues that are just associated with what happened as Jesus arose and what's recorded. Well, we'll, we'll bring some of those in here in, in just a second. But kind of, kind of what you said was most skeptics believe that Jesus died and yeah. people believe that he was dead. Something happened to the body and the, the disciples experienced something. You know, yep. they they really believe that they saw something. Now, like you said, whether or not they did is matter of discussion, but they believe that they did. So you're right. Th those are those are a couple of facts that have to be accepted. Um, well, what, Brian, do you have any on the top of your head? Well, so I was I was even a step before Tom was. Um, okay. I would say that, you know, there, there are still a few skeptics that against all <clears throat> good judgment or reason, and I, and I really think that the, it's it's terrible historians, but uh, that might deny Jesus even existed. But I would say this: one hundred percent of all people believe Christianity exists today, and they would say that it began two thousand years ago. And I think that 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 testimony itself is of some value because if it began, it began 
in some fashion. So in other words, if it exists today, it began somewhere. And if it began somewhere, uh, that leaves us to an open-ended question of where did it begin? Um, we would say, uh, again, 100% of skeptics, even the worst of them, would agree that Christianity was, was terribly persecuted in its beginning and yet flourished. So that testifies to something about it as well, something very important I think we're going to get to. Um, from the beginning, it was a religion where it taught that its founder, and again, I'm, I'm speaking as though a skeptic would say this, it taught that its founder died and was raised from the dead. So that kind of even goes back to our resurrection language, that it, it did that. And finally, fourth, maybe there's a few little tidbits, things like, um, you know, we know the the factual existence of the Roman Empire or of Jerusalem or or of a lot of the, the, the events surrounding this, nobody disputes those things either. That there's 100% agreement that, for example, Romans crucified people or that Jerusalem existed under Roman occupation. So there are a lot of uh, facts that are 100% agreed upon. That's that's kind of a, a place to begin. And like I said, that kind of sets even a little before what Tom said, because Tom is saying that the majority, and Tom is correct, the majority of scholars who even reject that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, accept that there was a Jesus Christ and that, you know, again, that that issue of where did he go after his death is of great importance. But even before that, there's a 100% agreement on certain things. And and those, even those things have value to us in presenting our case. Okay. All right. That's a good point. Uh, let, let me share a couple of others here real quick. And, and Tom, I think this was overlapping uh, what you said about something happened to the body. They they all agree that the tomb was empty. Yep. You know, when everything was said and done, that the tomb actually was empty there with that. And um, that being, let me bring Tom up. There we go. So they, they believe the tomb was empty. But two other things that I had come across in kind of preparing for this is there seems to be an accepted fact that one of the great persecutors of the church was radically changed. You know, here we have Paul or Saul of Tarsus who goes about trying to persecute this new way called Christianity and something happened that changed his life. You know, he, he you know, that seems to be acknowledged. And this other one I thought was interesting. I never viewed James's brother Jesus as a skeptic. But some people view him as a big skeptic, and something had to have happened for him to become a strong believer. You know, so what, like you said, what it was, there's debate over. But the fact is, James, a skeptic, became a believer. Um, yeah, 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 exactly. Mm -hmm. I mean, James is described in Galatians 1, I think a couple of places in Acts. He, he, he's a very prominent leader of the church in Jerusalem, more, more than likely an elder. Yeah. Uh, very influential. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very influential from that standpoint. And and when we recall the brothers of Jesus during the life of Jesus, uh, they were they were skeptical at best. You know, yeah. You know where he was concerned. So and, and like you said, to, to explain what happened to Paul, it it, it really is it, it's something that that people that reject the resurrection they got to deal with it. Because uh, because we have Paul's writings, and and another thing that is generally accepted by uh, accepted by the majority of skeptics, scholarly skeptics, is that the letter of First Corinthians was written by Paul. There's some of the letters that yeah. they try to throw away, but First uh, Corinthians is readily acknowledged as being a letter that was written by Paul. And you get into First Corinthians 15, 
where he just makes the case for the resurrection. And he and he's very specific as to who he appeals to as eyewitnesses of the resurrection. There's interesting things about that. That's right. And, and we'll kind of talk about that some here in our next question. That's a good point. Good point. All right. Well, Mike, let me bring you up to the forefront here with this next question. And what would be the basic evidence of Jesus's death and resurrection? Well, what is it that we are relying upon that, that support our belief in Jesus being resurrected from the dead? Well, the very fact that our, our belief comes obviously through scripture, right? You're looking, if you're looking at it through the skeptic's eyes, you've got a lot broader way that you have to show this. But if we've got faith that God wrote, uh, had written the, the truth of all these things, there are tangible evidences there as well. There were thousands of people that watched him die and they spoke about it. They, the majority of those that were at the cross, according to scripture, uh, were skeptic of his, his uh, powers. They cried, if he be the Christ, let him come down and we'll believe. Uh, there were two that were quite interested in burying Christ. Nobody else seemed to have that interest yeah. uh, until Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus begged for the body of Christ which that's another evidence, if you will, away from inspiration. Pilate, who ordered uh, that the people go ahead and do with him as they wished, was amazed that Christ had died so quickly. And here's Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus begging his body. He, he says, well, how do I know that he's already dead? He sends out soldiers to break the legs of the thieves, and they come to Jesus, he's already dead. There was a centurion then that pierces his side to make sure of that. Uh, I've looked at that point of the of the crucifixion of Christ as sheer mutilation of a of a dead body. They knew he was dead. They just pierced his side anyway. Then you've got the evidence that they're scared that body might be stolen. So the Roman government set at least two guards at the tomb and sealed the tomb which the Roman seals, as I understand the history, would be like a ball of wax on the wall, a ball of wax on the door, and a ribbon between with a Roman seal stamped into that. And nobody was allowed to that, but they put guards at the tomb as well. Well, where were the guards after the resurrection? <laughs> They're scared. They're not there. The stones rolled away. Who was strong enough to do that? Obviously, the seal was broken. So the tangible evidences that even Scripture offers are fantastically sure that Christ did rise from the dead. Later in that 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians that Thomas mentioned just a bit ago, Paul records that there were over 500 witnesses of this man called Jesus. Oh, so frankly, no, no, no self-respecting child of God could say he didn't rise from the dead. The, the, the main basis for that is our own salvation. We put sin to death. We bury it in baptism. We rise to walk in newness of life. That's emblematic of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. There, there can be no doubt about it. Okay. So the tangible as well as the faith is just so strong yeah. that they, you can't deny that it happened. Well, and, and it sounds like what you're saying, and, and I agree with everything, it's a great explanation, is we believe the eyewitness accounts. 
Yeah. Absolutely. You know, every when you think about Mike, we, we have four Gospels, and then we have the yeah. Book of Acts, and of course, First Corinthians, as Paul yeah. taught, brought up a while ago. So we have of two Gospels were written by apostles who were there when it happened. Mm-hmm. Luke seems to have interviewed people who had been there yes. when it happened. And some people yes. suggest that Mark studied at the feet of Peter, although I wondered if the Mark, the writer of Mark was John Mark, if he was the young man who fled naked uh, when they arrested Jesus. Okay. May well have been. So we, and, we, and of those four authors, you've got, you've got two that were eyewitnesses. The other two interviewed eyewitnesses. Yep. Then you go on through the scriptures and you find that, that uh, here's men like Theophilus that Luke yep. wrote. And he's got a curiosity about it. And Luke, who wasn't there that we know of, believes it enough and has evidence enough that he says to Theophilus, I've come and written to you to set in order these things that you might believe. That's right. That's exactly uh, right. So there, there's just all kinds of evidence yeah. that, though it's written in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and so on, when you understand that those are that those articles of Luke and Mark especially mm-hmm. are written by men that were not eyewitnesses and yet they they prove their testimony. For example, Mark talking about the guards that are paid off to leave. <laughs> yes, how, I thought that was interesting. You, how can you deny that? You know, here's here's Mark who probably was a Roman. Uh, and his letter is written to Rome, who those people wanted a short, condensed version, unlike most preachers, me, uh, <laughs> wanted a short, condensed version, plugs it in there that they pay these guards to say that while we slept, the disciples came and stole his body. What self-respecting Roman soldier is going to admit he slept on duty? That's death. And they take the money, and the, and yet the evidence is, hey, he's gone. And the only way we can explain this is resurrection. And if they remembered the seeing the angel roll the, the stone away, you know, then they fainted. Oh, yeah, if they, they remember were frightened that? by that. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Um, was it Mark or Matthew Mark that or Matthew, records the conspiracy? That was Matthew's account. I think we're Matthew, talking about Matthew, yeah. not yeah, Matthew. Matthew. Okay. Matthew's account. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, Matthew's account. Okay. Well. Um, Bear with me just a moment. Had a brain hiccup. So we're relying upon eyewitness testimony because that's all we have. We can't travel back in time and we can't duplicate the miracles today because they were intended for a specific purpose. So let's see. Brian, would you like to share with us a list of some of the people that were actually eyewitnesses to this? Yeah. So, uh, you know, of course, we... Uh, uh, we have a very good account in 1 Corinthians 15. I appreciate that uh, Tom said something very important, again, that 1 Corinthians tends to be the book that uh, that even most skeptics would agree was written by uh, Saul of Tarsus, written by Paul. And Paul tells us very explicitly that there were a number of witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, specifically, your question was, uh, who are the eyewitnesses of both Jesus' death and resurrection? I'm going to put that question up so people can see that. And uh, we know, first of all, that the 12 apostles, uh, well, with the exception of Judas, I should say, but the apostles themselves were witnesses. We're also told that Jesus explicitly met with his brothers. uh, So we have them. We also are mentioned uh, several hundred, I believe over 500 others that are just suggested. And we know a lot of those people, such as Jesus's own mother, Mary and his aunt and a lot of the women that followed him. 
So we have a lot of information about different people that were witnesses of these things. So we do have, and again, 1 Corinthians 15 gives us a rather explicit list of the different people that were witnesses to these things. Okay. All right. Um, are, are you done? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't, I, uh, yeah, that's correct. I'm, I'm clicking keys here so I can get back to what I was doing. Yeah, that was, right. I was actually uh, putting those questions up while we were talking. I appreciate that. You mentioned these, Mary, Magdalene, and then Mary, Salome, Joanna, um, and apparently maybe one other woman. Um, uh, Jesus' mother, yes. Yeah, Jesus' mother. You got Peter, uh, Clopas, and another disciple on the road to Emus. You know, we think about that one. Not to mention the 11 disciples, the seven disciples of the uh, Sea of Tiberias. I mean, just there's a long list that the Bible records that these authors record of individuals said, yeah, I saw him too. Yes, I walked with him too. Yes, I, I touched him. Yes, you know, that they were there with him. And I think that's very important to what we are considering when we talk about evidence for the resurrection. We are relying upon eyewitness accounts. And if well, most and, scholars and, acknowledge that these eyewitness accounts took place, then that should give us a bit more believability in regarding why we, we ground our faith in them. Yeah, Tom, go ahead. I, I just thought again of those men do, uh, on the road to Emmaus. Uh, yeah. After talks to them for a while, they say to themselves, did not our hearts burn within us? They they didn't know Jesus at first, but that is they walked on and then he went home with them. That evidence is very clear. And uh, so, yeah, yeah, these eyewitnesses are valuable to us. That's right. That's exactly right. All right. You know, one, one other thing Good, to Brian. add to that, John, is that one of the powerful concepts is we don't have eyewitness testimony to the contrary. So so if we imagine that this is a court case and witnesses are being brought forth, and in our court system, as in every court system, witnesses are considered uh, the key and critical uh, manner of, of evidence. You know, that's the uh, an important idea. In this case, there's no one who bears witness in ancient testimony that uh, that it didn't happen. That in other words, there's no one that would say that would testify to his body being found. And and we have we understand that there's a lot of reason why people would want to make that testimony. Indeed, ironically, the very witnesses uh, that we're relating to are the ones who tell us that there was a false testimony for a time. And yet none of those false witnesses ever actually put that testimony down. So it's actually a considerable point to say, not only do we have all this testimony, but we're also overwhelmed with the absence of testimony to the contrary. Nobody ever sat down and said, let me explain to you what really happened to the body of Jesus or something like that. that, that it simply does not exist, even though we know that there were people that desired for that to be the case. I like that. That's a very good point. Um, and there would have been ample time for people to... And, would have been ample time for people to have recorded those things and passed them down through the through the centuries, Brian. Uh, Absolutely, and and we have records from that time from the people that were the enemies of Christianity, yeah. both the Jewish writers from that time that rejected Christianity and Roman writers too. So we so we have uh, two you know two important testimonies, and neither of them uh, testify to the contrary. That's right. That's exactly right. Or let's say evidence had been uncovered in the second and third century. You know, that there were other, you know, I, I, I call them fan fiction 
you know, of of uh, religious nature and the written in second, third, fourth century. But even none of those really came right out and said this didn't happen. You know, at least right. what, not to my knowledge, anyway. So, I appreciate that. Are right, any other thoughts or comments on this particular question before we um, go on to question number five? And I think question number five is very important to our our study. But any other thoughts? You know, uh, uh, one of the things that I, I just want to bring out real quick is is uh, all of the accounts are very deliberate with, with what they say. In other words, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the, the, the appearances that they record are, are very significant, and they're making specific cases. First Corinthians comes along, and, and it's got a very specific list. They're, it's kind of interesting. In First Corinthians 15, the women are not mentioned. And, and and if you study the culture back then, there's a reason for that. Is and and it's right or wrong. The testimony of a woman was not given the same weight as that of a man, and so on. And here Paul is writing a more—I I don't know if you want to use the term—formal document in First Corinthians 15, giving a more formal list, and so on. He gives this list that's undisputed. You know, he mentions the men that happened that they, he appeared to. The order in which he appeared even mentions 500 at one time. And, and, and he makes the observation when he says that, uh, where he makes the point, whom the greatest part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. That's verse 6 of 1 Corinthians 15. So he's making this point that this can be verified right now. Feel free to disprove me if, if, uh, if, if this did not happen. So Paul gives this very compelling specific list that would have been an acceptable witness list in the Roman Empire. The other Gospels mention the women because they're interested in what actually happened in the order that it happened. And and they mention something that actually gives credibility to the accounts because somebody that was just trying to appease people would have left out the women because of their, I, I hesitate to use a word, but the way they were viewed by society, their worth, you know, compared to that of a man, right or wrong. That's how it was back then. That is an interesting point that based on the culture, you know, there may have been some who have said the women's point doesn't matter. So we don't need to put it in. Yeah. yeah. Um, Brian, do we have any, any thoughts coming in from the chat room? We do. Uh, Gregor uh, was coming back, and he's actually going back to one of the earlier questions, question number two, where we were talking about what are some basic facts with respect to Jesus's resurrection. Now, what Gregor is kind of pointing out, I think, is interesting because he's he's kind of again going to the absence of a of a evidence. He says of all the relics that have been offered, the actual bones of Jesus were never presented. So, so first of all, that's really um, an important point that people all the time are claiming to have found relics and such, and yet um, never has anybody presented anything that they would claim to be the body of Christ. So, you know, he's, he's pointing to that absence being a, a testimony to it. Um, and of course, Gregor's kind of coming along to one of our big ideas and um, where we're, we're about to get to, and that's going to be question number five. I don't know, do you want to wait a second, John, and bring that in with question five? Uh, let's see... Let's go ahead and bring it in, Brian. All right. So question number five was, how do we know the eyewitnesses believed their own eyes? 
And so Gregor was actually uh, working on the, the handout himself, and he had a point to bring out of that. He said, people died professing this. None recanted their testimony. I kind of imagine Gregor just took all of our thunder because I, I think uh, <laughs> all of us wanted to make that point too. That, that uh, you know, and I had a whole thing lined up about our legal system and how our legal system uh, gives weight, a, a greater weight to the deathbed or to the dying confession uh, as opposed to the standard confession. Because our, our legal system believes the idea that uh, somebody who is confessing something as they're dying uh, has no reason to to be dishonest in any way, that their statement has the most profound point. Uh, we have a sister in Christ here whose son was murdered, and his dying statement was to identify the person who had killed him, and that statement brought about her persecution. We have written declarations of two men who were about to die, uh, 2 Timothy written by Paul and 2 Peter written by Peter, both of them declaring they're about to die, and both of them declaring the absolute certainty that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Okay, that's a very good point. And so let's let's go ahead and, and kind of um, build upon this idea here. Um, we we have had religious martyrs in the world today. I mean, you you might even throw back to nine eleven, and some people claim that it all took place for religious beliefs. The problem with religious martyrs that we understand and know about is that they are dying because someone else said something had happened. All right, their testimony, their, their, their death was not for their own testimony of what they've seen, but upon the testimony of someone else. So how do we know, and this is the question, and Gregor's put a good introduction into this, how do we know the eyewitnesses believe their own eyes? How do we know Peter believed it? How, how, do, how, does, how do we know Paul believed what he saw? How do we know that Matthew believed what he saw? James killed by Herod. How do we know that he believed what he saw? And um, Paul, or let me actually let me throw it over to Shelton. He's been quiet for a while for <laughs> various reasons. There. How do we know that those individuals fully believed the experience that they witnessed? There we go. I was muted. We know that they dedicated their lives to the preaching of that message. Uh, and, and, you know, it'd be hard pressed for me to think that somebody could go out of their way, suffer persecution, you know, suffer hardship and, and, and even die for a cause and for a man and for belief in his resurrection if they didn't fully, you know, believe and, and, and fully accept the, that as, as truth. And I think Gregor mentioned exactly what I had written down pre-plan for the notes that, uh, that that they lived their whole lives testifying this even into their death. They wouldn't deny the fact that these things were true even to save their own lives. Okay. All right. Any other thoughts on this before I talk a little bit more about it? Yeah. You, you know, when you think about the thought, would you be willing to die for a lie? You know, I, I mean, you, you know, we've already established that, that it's acknowledged the tomb was empty something happened to the body the disciples saw something well if if jesus wasn't really resurrected somebody somebody perpetrated a massive fraud and 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 typically it would have to be somebody who had the ability to do something with that pull it off so it would have had to have been somebody close and 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 as such 
the way that the disciples acted, the way that the apostles, you know, as you mentioned, being willing to be executed and persecuted, if if they knew it was a fraud, if if there was no real evidence, if they hadn't seen him themselves, would they be willing to die for a lie? Yeah, that's kind of the that's kind of the the point there. Um, when when James was killed for Herod, James died because he had seen something strong enough. He had seen the resurrected Jesus. He had been there with the other apostles when Christ appeared. So when he died because he preached Jesus Christ crucified, he saw something to convince him that this death ain't going to stop me, that there is something on the other side of it. I saw a man come back from the grave, and I know it will happen to me. That's pretty, you know, that's got to be powerful. It's not, well, I heard that this happened to him. And, and I realize we're talking about us putting our lives on the line, if necessary, because of what we've heard. But these eyewitnesses literally put their lives on the line for what they actually saw, what they believed they saw. Um, any other thoughts? That was the point there that I was trying to make with that, John. And not just that they, you know, sacrifice their life for it in death, but sacrifice their life for it even while they were living to commit yes. and to sacrifice the rest of their life to the work that that resurrection brought about. And so that, yeah, that's exactly what I was trying to point yeah. out. And, and, you know, like we said at the very beginning, whether what they saw, you know, some skeptics, we will never be able to convince them, but it was strong enough to change their life completely. And we'll talk about some other objections to it a little bit later, but you know, that's how great it was. All right. Anyone else? All right. So let's consider now, let's see how much time we have. It is about 1144. And again, let me pause for just a moment to thank you so much for joining us for this study. Um, and if, if you're watching this at a later time and maybe you uh, disagree with something that we've said, or you'd like to maybe su submit a comment that we could maybe bring in at a future study. We'd love to hear from you. You can send those to questions at truthfactorlive.com, truthfactorlive.com, and we'll definitely get those. And also an email address we don't put out there very much. We do have comments at truthfactor.com, a little bit different, but comments at truthfactor.com. But let's go ahead and move on now to the next question in this study. How did the disciples from the late first, oh yeah, how did the disciples from towards the end of the first century into the second century, view the gospel records. Um, there, there were several individuals, some notable as far as historically, who were born mid-first century, died in the second century. So their lives would have overlapped, and they likely would have known some of these eyewitnesses. Uh, how did those people, based on some of the external writings we have, view the, the, the uh, gospel accounts. Um, Brian, do you have anything on that you'd like to start with? Well, what's very interesting is that we know that there was some controversy about Jesus' death at the end of the second century. We have a book written by a man by the name of Irenaeus, uh, or Irenaeus, uh, depending how you pronounce that. And he, uh, around 100 AD, wrote a treatise about the death of Jesus, that there was a group called the Gnostics, who, because of their beliefs that uh, of the identity of Jesus, they didn't believe that he was physically a person in the flesh. Uh, they didn't believe he could have died. So they had some rather unusual ideas 
Um, and I don't want to go too far into this because this kind of comes back to some of our points on skeptics, because Islam adopted the philosophy of the, uh, the Gnostics, and they would say that, that Jesus had actually not died, but instead somebody else took his place, um, which, is, which is not something really, except for Muslims today, not something many people consider credible, but it is something some people do believe. Well, the point was, in the second century, they were making it very clear that there was no question among anybody who believed, you know, who, who knew these things and believed that Jesus had in fact died and had in fact been raised from the dead. Okay. Um, in, in a moment, I've noticed that we have a good comment from Gregor we'll bring in. Um, all right, that's an interesting point. Looking back to writings from the end of the second century, kind of commenting on, on the viewpoint of others. Um, well, I even think, John, about historians like um, Josephus, who was uh, supposedly a friend of a friend of Paul's. He he writes about this understanding of the resurrection. Then you've got other writings in books that uh, I believe they're titled The Apostolic Fathers. Uh, another book is Fox's Martyrs. And these, these were separate into some of them are mentioned in scripture most of them are not uh, but they all speak of the resurrection of Christ and their faith is based on that and some of those are as much as 150 200 years after the fact and yet the reality of that resurrection still penetrates their doctrine their their teaching there there's no question you know most most religions, if they're based on a lie, fizzle out pretty quickly. The understanding of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection has lasted now more than, well, basically 2,000 years, and no one's been able to successfully dispute it. That in, its, in itself is an evidence of its existence. Okay. All right. I appreciate that, Mike. Well, Mike, have you ever heard of someone by the name Polycarp? Yeah. And yeah. uh, Ignatius, yes, sir, and All Clement, of Clement of Rome, fathers. yeah, yeah. See, and what's interesting about those three individuals is that they all were born, at least from what I've studied, at least born mm -hmm. within the first century and died mm -hmm. within the second century. Mm -hmm. So, those three and that's individuals, in that book I was talking about the apostolic fathers, that's what mentioned mm -hmm. in there, okay. And so here, we don't have a Christian from the third century talking about what happened in the first century. We have three individuals who are writing and believing the events that they heard about while they were still living and maybe even overlap. Some people suggest Polycarp was a student of John the Apostle. Yeah. Well, yeah. if that's the case, he heard firsthand from an apostle what, regarding what the apostle had seen many years earlier. Mm -hmm. Um and, and there's another book, and it, the Clement of Rome is referenced as a writing towards the end of the first century into the second. They don't believe mm -hmm. it to be inspired. It doesn't even claim inspiration, but it does verify the belief of Christians. And, and yes. there was another book, um, Brian, you remember what it was called? There's another book from the end of the first century that some people view to be in, um Dianiki almost key or Shepherd of Hermes. That may be it. The Shepherd of Hermes. It's, it's I think, something I think that, that the Didache and the letter of Clement are the two oldest writings. Didache or um, the, I'm not the, saying it right. Uh, yeah, it's the 
<laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't help you much. Sorry. That's okay. But anyway, it is, you know, it's not viewed by people as being inspired. It's like collection of writings. But the yeah. point is, it comes from a time period right at the end of the first century, which clearly attests to these events weren't made up, that there is a physical nature to these events. You know, mm-hmm. um, if you find that, let me know. I'm, I'm ashamed. I didn't even, I, I heard it a couple of days ago. I, I'm trying to remember, um, uh, trying to remember what the word was. It, it literally means the two ways in Greek. Um, and it's not diatoki. That's, that's something very different. Uh, Trying to remember what it was, but uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, John. That's okay. Well, uh, Didache, Didache, D-I-D-A-C-H-E. We don't know who wrote it, but we know it was it. written. Uh, one of the earliest writings, and it uh, it was describing the the beliefs in Christ. That's it. That's it. Didache. Yeah. And um, so well, I'm not a Greek student or scholar or historian or anything of that sort. But it does it does seem extremely interesting to me that when you take what we find in Scripture and look toward it in secular history, secular historians rarely change those events. Uh, even if they're skeptical of it, they mention it, that this belief is still held by, by thousands. You can't say that of any other religion. It's just not there. There is no other person founding a religion of any kind that claims resurrection. Jesus Christ is the only one among that. And that that proof has held low these many years through all these uninspired writers that you just mentioned. That's a good point. That's a very good point, Mike. Okay. I like that. Before we bring in Gregor's comment anyone else want to chime in on this the um, idea of how did disciples from the late first century to the second view the gospel records yeah john just real quick uh uh some want to say that the what happened after the life of jesus is legend you know and they'll use that type of a description you you don't have enough time Uh, (laughs) and it's because of what you were talking about there uh you have a second and third generation people after the events actually took place. So there's really enough documentation and there's enough going on around to verify, yeah. to validate what was going on. So when people sit there and talk about legend, uh, when we know these things started to happen, enough time had not passed for something to become a legend. That's right. And, and some of the writings that are now quoted like the Jesus getting married and have children, those didn't yeah. crop up until what the third, fourth, and fifth centuries. You know, yeah, yeah, more yeah, fan yeah, fiction. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. All right. Now we have a good comment in the chat room, Brian. If you would like to read that, I'll pop them up on the screen there. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, this is from Gregor uh, responding to our question: How did the disciples in the late first century to second century view the gospel accounts? Rieger says they built their lives uh, about the gospel of Christ. Through persecution and being beaten and badgered, they still followed the word of God. Interesting how false gospels promoted power versus peace. That's true. Exactly. Exactly. The whole message here was not about rise up against the Roman Empire. You know, the message was peace and salvation and God. That's a good point. You know, and it, what you know, it strikes you to think about Gregor saying there that uh, 
So, so you're a Roman, you live in 125 AD and you've heard about Christianity and you knew that if you were to step in to obey it, your life is going to get a lot more difficult. So what would compel you to do that? I mean, if there was any question that it wasn't legitimate, uh, you know, why would you step in to follow this belief that is that brings about such misery to the people that have followed it and such suffering to them? Uh, you know, uh, without a legitimacy, uh, a legitimacy of these testimonies that, you know, people uh, people had to have believed in that time frame is because they're converting in a time where persecution was commonplace. Uh, their belief had to be concrete that this was a real event. That's true. That's a very good point. Very good point. All right. Any other thoughts or comments on what we've covered so far? Um, on the subject of the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. Again, yeah. no one living today saw it firsthand, and like anything else, there's time travel is not possible. I find it interesting. People don't believe in God, Brian. They don't believe in God, but they believe in aliens and time travel and multi-universes <laughs> and all that other stuff. That's possible, but an intelligent creator omnipotent, just out of realm of possibility. <laughs> but um John yes yes Tom yeah just a real quick observation on what's been made what's been mentioned recently yes uh in Acts chapter 5 36 and 37 uh Gamaliel is advising the council concerning Peter and John uh preaching Christ and so on and the and what is stated in that text there is there was a, a long time ago or some time ago there was a man named Thutis <laughs> gained a following uh, and there was another one Judas of Galilee who drew away people after him and they were both defeated and what's interesting about that is the gospel anticipates or, or, the, or the, 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 the Bible including the book of Acts it's interesting how through inspiration it anticipates some of these arguments that are made you know when you go back into the uh, into the second century the fact that the Christian faith is still growing strong and people are dying. Everything that we've talked about, the point that Gregor makes, if it would have been a fad, it would have died out. Yeah. And the Bible gives an example of that there in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 5. And the thing is, Tom, that's not, that argument isn't so much a positive evidence for, but when you consider the history of the written record of man, no other, you know, what you're saying is not without justification. Yeah. You know, most anything else does dwindle. I mean, even in our own culture today, think back to 2011. All right. And what we're referencing is not is September 11th, 2001. All right. That created a great fervor among the American people because of the attack on our country. How many people still as fervent over it today? You know, people at the airports, you still got to pat you down. And, but over time, it kind of fades away. Down. Yeah. Yeah. But and, this doesn't. And, and, how, yeah. and how many people are there who want us to remember that? So, you know, I mean, yeah. which is the, you know, every, every 9-11, we have all these commemorations and you, you see the never forget statements. You've got those that were eyewitnesses of what happened. Yeah. Those of us who were around, who want this younger generation because because you know you know bear in mind every minor alive today would not have remembered that 
And we're so afraid, or, or should I say concerned, that that's going to be forgotten about, that we're doing what we can to create memorials, historical documentation. Uh, those who were there, we retell the story and what we saw in that time because we don't want that to be forgotten because we want them to understand the yeah. evil that is out there that caused it. And, and you can tie that back to the idea of the first century, mm -hmm. those who were Christians and the next generation being told with passion what had actually happened. Tom, I remember sitting at the kitchen table in our, in our house watching Good Morning America. Not that I'm plugging their show. Watching Good Morning America. And suddenly they broke away because a plane had crashed into the World Tower. And while they were live, the second one did the same thing. I'm not going to forget that. And I have a hard time believing that someone who saw the resurrected Savior walking and eating and being with them, I have a hard time thinking that they would forget that because they were eyewitnesses to it. But you're right. We try to get, keep our country remembering certain memorials, and this is by far more important. It's oh, yeah. not going to fade away. Yeah. Good points. Well, and John, I was two years old when that took place and have no absolute you know, absolutely no recollection of the day that that happened or where I was or a memory of it in any way, shape or form. And oh. for all I know, everybody could be lying to me about that fact, other than the proof that we have of obviously it happening. But I'm kind of in that same situation of those who have to be told, you know, yeah. uh, of the events that uh, it's conspired and, and how everything happened. You probably uh, had oatmeal on your, on your chin here as your mom was trying to feed you breakfast that yeah, morning. That's right. and she looked away and it went up your face a little bit because she was. <laughs> that's right. I mean, I was I was extremely young, and that's something that, you know, just. And to you don't remember me, that oatmeal, Shelton? No, I don't remember the oatmeal either. Sorry. <laughs> but, but you know, it, it's one of those things that even in the past, you know, we have the plays written by a man like Shakespeare. You know, way way before times that we live. You know, and, and way before times where we can remember seeing things, eyewitness accounts. You know. But we believe that they existed. We yeah. believe that those writings are his, you know, and we even re reenact those plays of his. And, and like Tom said, every year we remind ourselves of the events that happened at 9-11. And why is it that we are not at all in any way skeptical of any of those things, but yet we are shown the proof that Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead and the eyewitnesses lived and died by the remembrance of that fact. Yeah. But yet that's just too much for us to accept. You know, it, it's the exact same thing. And I believe that a lot of times the reason why we don't want to accept it is because it makes us accountable to someone. Yeah, and, it, and, it, and it makes our actions accountable to God. And, and that's a scary fact that we don't sometimes yeah. want to face. And, and I believe that's the reason for a lot of the skepticism on that, where there isn't any skepticism on something like the plays written by Shakespeare or that's et cetera, right. you know, anything like that. Well, even our the um, Declaration of Independence, how do you know they really signed it? I mean, there's names on it. The events that surrounded it, how do we know? There's we believe the, the records. Paul says, I, Paul, write to these people these things. Yeah. You know, and so just because there's names on the Declaration of Independence doesn't prove it. If you're going to say that Paul writing the book to the Ephesians doesn't prove that he actually did it. That's right. That's right. All righty. Let me see. Any other thoughts or comments? 
And I'll, I'll tell you what we'll plan to do for next week. I'm looking to see if there's any other thoughts in the chat room, and we all look good there as well. All right. So we're not yet completely done with the study. I would like for us next week to kind of, how do you answer certain skeptics? And in the, the Google form there, you can still jump in if you'd like to later and kind of drop in some questions, your answers to those questions there. But We'll plan to do that next week. Talk about some of the, uh, for it's, sorry, I woke up my phone again by saying the name of the operating system. For instance, how would you answer the skeptic who says the disciples stole the body of Jesus? All right. What would be some ways of answering that? Um, how would you answer the skeptic who says Jesus did not die, but only appeared dead? You know, some of those things that we'll talk about next week, and, and we'll probably sit down and reevaluate this particular study and see if there's any more information that we might be able to bring in just to kind of help cheer it up a little bit. And if so, we I'll go through and modify the questions. If you still want to answer some of the previous questions there, feel free to go ahead and do that, and uh, we'll bring them into next week's study as well. I will post this link again um, on the Truth Factors uh, Facebook page and look in the description of today's study and you'll see the Google form link there as well. All right, gentlemen, any other thoughts or comments regarding today's study and evidence for the resurrection of Jesus with what we have covered so far, Brian, I'll start with you. No, a great study today and I appreciate everybody's thoughts on this. All right, appreciate that. Mr. Mike. Very generous study. I appreciate all the comments and the thoughts. Uh, I guess I would just simply leave with the fact that if Christ be not risen, then we're of all men most written, most miserable. That's true. That's true. Tom? Uh, no, I, I mean, this has just been something that I've been passionate about for quite a while, uh, you know, in studies yeah. for a number of reasons. Appreciating the study and definitely something we need to be aware of. Yeah, I agree completely. And Shelton? No, I, uh, I appreciate the work you put in to develop the, the study today, John, and I'll be excited to answering the skeptics next week. All right. And Paul. Today I was uh, distracted and had to leave the study several times, and uh, we all have our local work that we're doing, and uh, sometimes important things come up. And so I don't really apologize for that, but I just offer that as a word of explanation and look forward to studying along next time. That's fine, Paul. Completely understand. We'd like to thank you so much for joining us for our study today. Again, we'd like to hear from you. But feel free to fill out the questions on the Google form. Email your thoughts to us at questions at truthfactorlive.com. We'd love to hear from you. Well, that's all for now. Next week, Lord willing, next Wednesday, and I think that's going to be Wednesday, November the 13th, we will continue our study right here at 11 o'clock a.m. Central Time. That's noon in the Eastern Time Zone. 9 a.m. Pacific Time. 10 a.m. Mountain Time. That's right here at live.truthfactor.com. Have a wonderful week.